1: Good evening, Rifters! This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules and how your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And
2: I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about humans! So, there are dozens of races in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, so we are not going to go through all of them. We are not going to make a complete series about them. However, it is an important part of the game. So, we are going to talk about at least the most common and popular ones, and then we'll probably do some bundles farther on to at least mention some of the others. But for today's sake, humans. Us. The thing that we are. The only sentient race on our world, to the best of our knowledge. So in Dungeons and Dragons, humans are still just one of the many sentient races in the game. So how to use humans in the game is actually somewhat of a debatable topic. So generally speaking, culture differs a lot in Dungeons and Dragons. You do not generally have Like, many different places matter in terms of culture. A lot of culture in game is defined by the character's race. So dwarves are that, you know, Scottish-Irish-voiced, you know, tough creatures. You know, elves have that more, you know, posh style to them. But oddly enough, humans don't tend to have a lot of the spread of how they are in the real world and whether that is something you honestly should do can be debated because as we talked about before in our political correctness episode there are lines of crossing into things that are not good like if you wanted to Put on certain voices, you know, maybe you are quite skilled at voices, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's an OK thing to do. Like, OK, good example for the most part in Star Wars Episode One Phantom Menace. A lot of people took offense with the nemoidians voice because it was that a like, kind of terrible 1950s, like racist Chinese kind of voice. Like, what did you say? And it was that rather amazing.
1: <laughs> like, uh, it was <laughs> it was
2: very apparent and not good in that movie that what the nemoidian's voice was based on. And then you also have Watto on Tatooine, who is absolutely old Jewish guy. Like, hey, Annie, you know, your credit's are not good here. Only money. <laughs> And it's just like, holy shit, that's so, yeah. Like, to actually have other creatures representing things in the game is how it is often done. But humans have quite literally hundreds, if not thousands, of cultures and accents in our world. And to try to play that out in your game is something to consider and honestly maybe even just talk to your players about which direction would you prefer i go should i you know gamble on doing some stronger voices or should i just have it be all people have a somewhat more generic voice and then have it be that the races are the stronger you know cultural effector Like you don't have in a lot of D&D games that you have like, oh, yeah, you know, humans from the north, you know, speak in this kind of tone or, you know, you have the ones in the south have, you know, the American southern accent like it tends to not be regional in a lot of D&D. And that absolutely is something that I would say can be done a lot more. But your mileage may vary. So let's dive right into then the mechanics of humans in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. Because, like to my own surprise, there's a lot more sub subrace options to humans than I honestly remember just because I didn't think about how many more books have come out over the years. So generally speaking, there were two. And this has been built on a lot since then. There was just human and variant human. So we'll start there human ability score increase well actually before i just read it over and over again uh generally speaking races will give your character a couple of particular things you have an ability score increase so you start out with either the point by system or role traits for your ability scores and then your race will give you a small boost to those ability scores and then in addition to that There is uh, age, alignment, size, speed, and languages. And some races also give additional thing to that as well. So I'm not just going to read all of the things because age, alignment, and size, it doesn't matter a whole lot. So as we do the races, I'm just going to mostly skip over those, uh, just maybe a brief mention, if anything. But anyway, ability score increase. So humans are actually unique among the races in how this works. Normally, a race will give something along the lines of plus two to some ability score and then a plus one to something else with some rare variation that will go into when those come up. Humans, on the other hand, instead of doing it that way, give a plus one ability score increase to all of them. So all six ability scores get a plus one increase, which gives humans a massive advantage in terms of that ability score increase because that is six points compared to the other three or possibly four that other races may have. On the other hand, because it is just by one, there is nothing that will get that plus two boost that many other races do give. So it is a rather interesting trade off, in all honesty. And as with most races, they have the base speed of 30 feet, and you get to pick common and one additional language as a language to know. And that is it for the base human. Now, the variant human is rather different. And I have a strong love of the variant human in fifth edition because it gives totally different bonuses so instead of that plus one to everything it is only a plus one into two ability scores so that is the lowest ability score increase of any race but the other things that it grants make up for that so you also gain proficiency in one skill of your choice so that is a fantastic way to build a character that just has a skill that the background doesn't necessarily give that the class doesn't necessarily give and just having any skill to gain proficiency with can help when making whatever character you want to which is pretty nice but the last aspect of it is why it is arguably the best subrace in the game, which is simply you gain one feat of your choice. And that is what makes this incredible. So feats we talked about the other day and how very variable they make a character. So a feat by having it as part of your subrace option means that you get that immediately at level one so at level one you can have one of these incredibly potentially powerful abilities or just something that strongly tweaks your character's direction and you get that at level one so if you have a rogue you can have the sharpshooter feat at level one to put out massive amounts of damage for a level one character you could use it to get the sentinel feat if you have a more tanky character you could use it to get the magic initiate feat if you want to just have a little bit of magic to a character that you're playing like as we talked about in feats there are so many directions that you can use to tweak a character with a feat and having one of those at level one is an almost insurmountable advantage to that character's customization so by having that level one feat like arguably no other race has as good a level one bonus i that's one reason that in the feats episode i mentioned that you might argue that giving everyone at level one a feat could be a good thing because variant humans have one at level one and it is not unbalancing to the game so it shows that it can be done and can be done well so those are the classic Two, what a lot of people honestly don't even know about, oddly enough, is that in the Eberron books, either the Rising from the Last War or just the Wayfinder's Guide, both of those have a lot more subclass options, and a number of those do apply to humans. And the way that those work, so it is somewhat setting-specific. However, the ideas behind it, I find to be incredibly interesting. So even if you're not playing in the Eberron setting, I highly suggest picking some of the dragon mark options to just give more racial options in your games, because what dragon marks are in story is basically like a kind of a magical mark well it is a magical mark so whether that exactly what that means is kind of weird because it is that kind of weird world magic type thing just a mark tied to bloodline that give additional abilities But if you want to use it that way, awesome. If you want to just have it just be a subrace option that this is just a thing that you're aligned with, you could just do that. So there are just many, many ways to do it. So what is cool about them is that there are a lot Of them that do apply to a couple of just the many races that exist. So there are, let me see here, five of them, I think, that apply to humans the mark of finding, the mark of handling, the mark of making, mark of passage, and mark of the sentinel. Or mark of sentinel. There's no the for some reason. That's kind of odd grammatically. Anyway, So the mark of finding. So anyway, uh, actually, before I start going into all of them, uh, just to summarize what makes these so different is the fact that this is a subrace option that gives magic to the people who have this. And there are a couple of things that each of these options gives you. So if you have one of these and are a spellcaster, it adds extra spells to your spell lists. So even if you have a class that has a rather limited spell list... If there is some particular spell that you want to have, then this could be a way to grant that to your character. If you're trying to have like a particular theme to your magic that your class doesn't quite get, then considering that these can add 10 or more spells onto your spell list can really add to that flexibility. So starting off with the Mark of Finding. So there is a lot of lore and such that can be added to a lot of this because there is a lot of that in the books, but I'm going to be sticking to the mechanics at this point. So mark of finding. Ability score increase of uh, your wisdom by two and your constitution by one so that is another way in which these are different than the regular human options is that these do give specific numbers into specific stats much like a lot of the normal sub options so wisdom two con one dark vision gain 60 feet of dark vision so normally humans don't have dark vision so that is pretty dang convenient Hunter's intuition, when you make a perception or survival check, you can roll a d4 and add the number to the ability check. So that is another of the ways in which these are somewhat different is that you can add a d4 to specific Ability checks and that is real nice because that is just a flat out thing that you gain the ability to do it is not limited at all. So every perception check and survival check that you make gets that extra d4. Alright, next up, Finder's Magic. You can cast the Hunter's Mark spell with this trait. Starting at 3rd level, you can also cast Locate Object spell with it. Once you cast either spell with this trait, you can't cast that spell again with it until you finish a long rest. Wisdom is your spellcasting ability for these spells. So that's pretty cool. So even if you are not a spellcaster, you gain the ability to cast each of those spells once per long rest. Nifty! And then. Finally, you can speak, read, and write the common and goblin languages. All right, and now on to the mark of handling. So, this one gives a wisdom increase of two and any ability score of your choice increased by one. So, unlike the mark of finding, the mark of handling lets you choose where to put that, sec- that uh, one point. Wild Intuition. When you make an Animal Handling or Nature check, you roll that d4 and add the number rolled to the ability check. Primal Connection. You can cast the Animal Friendship and Speak with Animals spells, with this trait requiring no material component. Once you cast, you can't until you finish a short or long rest. So again, unlike the previous, short or long rest allows you to recharge the animal friendship and speak with animals. The bigger they are, starting at third level, you can target a beast or monstrosity when you cast animal friendship or speak with animals, provided the creature's intelligence is three or lower. That is actually kind of amazing. So normally animal friendship and speak with animals lets you talk to beasts. So the ability to also cast that on monstrosity is unique to the mark of handling. So one thing that I forgot to mention uh, with the mark of finding was what spells that gives you access to. So uh, first off, uh, the mark of handling here. So it, do- it does sort it out that at each spell level of first through fifth, you gain a spell or two. And instead of just reading all of them, because like I said, there can be up to 10 spells on each of these. I will simply say that they are all themed around animals. So animal friendships, speak with animals, beast sense, conjure animals, all that kind of stuff is what you get with the Mark of Handling. So just to briefly backtrack back to the Mark of Finding to go over what that gives you. So that one is more on the kind of divination side of things. So that one will give you locate animals or plants, locate object, clairvoyance, divination. So that gives you some pretty cool abilities as well. So now let's uh, move back on to the Mark of Making. So this one gives you an intelligence boost of two and an ability of your choice by one. Then, Artisan's Intuition, when you make an arcana check or an ability check involving artisan's tools, you can roll a d4 and add the number rolled to the ability check. So this is actually different. Instead of it just being two abilities, it's your arcana skill and a check with artisan's tools. So that is really kind of different because you don't often do roles with your artisan's tools so by having that that can kind of you know get players to want to do more with their artisan's tools a lot of characters have artisan tool proficiencies and just kind of rarely use them and uh, supporting that ability also is the next one maker's gift you gain proficiency with a type of artisan's tools of your choice so that way even if you don't have one from your background and or from your class, that you get one with this in order to support that previous artisan's intuition. Next up. Spellsmith, you know the mending cantrip, you can also cast the magic weapon spell with this trait. When you do so, it lasts for an hour and doesn't require concentration. Once you cast the spell with the trait, you can't do so again until you finish a long rest. Intelligence is your spellcasting modifier for the spells. So Getting a cantrip is awesome because it's a cantrip. It doesn't have a finite usage with this trait. as often as you have the action economy to do so you could fix stuff that's just a nifty thing to have around in a party and also having magic weapon not requiring concentration anymore is real nice especially because you get this immediately at level one and magic weapon is normally a second level spell meaning that only a third level character would have access to it So this is something that would give a first level party, someone in the party to have a magic weapon, thanks to this spell, at least for an hour. And a lot of the spells that that mark gives you is just kind of based around the well making stuff so it lets you also identify magic items with the identify spell which is always very handy you get the magic weapon spell elemental weapon fabricate and stone shape it's actually pretty nifty i gotta admit that one is probably my favorite of these just because i like magical creation and i think that that's neat anyway next up the mark of passage So this one increases your dexterity score by two, and then one other of your choice increases by one. Now, this one also has one difference from the others in that the Mark of Passage human actually has a base walking speed of 35 feet, meaning that humans with the Mark of Passage are quite literally as fast as an elf, and that's kind of neat. All right, next up, intuitive motion. When you make an acrobatics check or any ability check to operate or maintain a land vehicle, you can roll a d4 and add the number to the ability check. So again, this one also is kind of different in a neat way. So acrobatics check as your ability, but then anything to do a land vehicle That's kind of cool, because you don't often, again, use a lot of ability checks for carts and such, and this kind of will give that incentive to do so. Magical Passage. You can cast the Misty Steps spell once with this trait, and you regain the ability to cast it when you finish a long rest that is another really really potentially useful ability so misty step also is normally a second level spell but you get it immediately so instead of needing to be a third level character at least once a day you can just teleport 30 feet as a bonus action at level one that is fantastic And then the spells that this mark gives you access to is all kind of based around motion. Expeditious Retreat, Jump, Pass Without Trace, Phantom Steed, Teleport Circle, and more. It is a lot of really, really good transportation type spells that that one gives you access to. And then finally, we've got the Mark of Sentinel. So this one will give you a Constitution boost of plus two and a Wisdom score increase of one. Then, so that's actually interesting. So that one does not give you the choice with that second. So you just get the Constitution and Wisdom. So this one is kind of built around the more tanky kind of character. Because that two points of Constitution is never a bad thing. Anyway, Sentinels Intuition, when you make an Insight or Perception check, you can roll a d4 and add the number to the ability. So Insight and Perception are very important skills, as always, but the fact that you then get that Wisdom Point boost with the ability score increase is a nice kind of synergy between the abilities that it gives you, because both Insight and Perception are Wisdom checks. Guardian's Shield. You can cast the Shield spell once with this trait and regain the ability to cast it after a long rest. So, Shield is a reaction to give you plus five AC for a round of combat. So, having that oh shit button in your quiver, even if you're normally just a melee tank character, or even if you're just not, anytime, Shield can be really useful because that plus five is a massive, massive bonus. All right. A vigilant guardian when a creature you can see within five feet of you is hit by an attack roll you can use your reaction to swap places with that creature and you are hit by the attack instead once you use the trait you can't again until you finish a long rest so that is a really neat ability the ability to just use your reaction to take a hit for an ally there are so many many cases where smart enemies will target the squishier people first so having the ability to redirect one of those attacks to you instead of your squishy allies is real nice all and then we've got the Spells of the Mark. So this is mostly stuff from the Paladin spell list for the most part, which makes sense for a Sentinel. So that gives you access to Compelled Duel, Shield of Faith, Zone of Truth, Death Ward, and a bunch more as well. So a lot of good kind of protection angled magic with that mark. So, that's humans. There are a lot of subclasses that give a lot of really powerful abilities, Variant Human, of course, being my favorite, thanks to that additional feat. But there are a lot of ways that you can use humans in the world, and as always, you are very much
1: encouraged to do so. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Tier Tier stars, though a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind the scenes content, only access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord, where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even the shout-out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter at riffwakepodcast, on Facebook as riffwake, and on Reddit on the subreddit. R slash riff Podcast. And now send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com.
2: That's riffs and d rules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.